Welcome to another episode of Health Matters with Laura Kopeck. I'm your host, functional nutritionist, a functional practitioner, traditional naturopath, genomic specialist, educator, author. And I'm here today to talk about a really important topic that probably a lot of us don't really spend a lot of time talking about, um, but that's the subject of poop. It's something that comes up in just about every first appointment, and it is the lab work we get back every day. Uh, so it's time to dive into the subject matter. Uh, as always on my podcast episodes, this one is uh, not intended for medical advice or to diagnose or treat any condition. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Okay, let's start with some common misconceptions that I find that a lot of people have when I'm kind of talking about this subject matter. And one is, what is constipation? A lot of people feel like if they're not going at all, that's constipation. Uh, and if they're going, even if it's irregular, that uh, they're not experiencing constipation. But constipation is uh, a little bit more of a generalized term. And we can say that anything that's not ideal is going to fall in either a constipated or, um, or, or a different category, such as a diarrhea. But let's talk about what actually constipation is. If you're not going on a daily basis, um, if uh, bowel movements are too firm, straining, uh, too difficult to pass, they're not substantial, they're not... Uh, a, a healthy texture. Um, if someone is swinging between uh, diarrhea-like bowel movements and constipation, that can be a little bit confusing, and somebody might not feel like that is constipation. But sometimes the large intestine is only able to evacuate uh, a looser stool because there's so much impacted solid matter. So sometimes a diarrhea-like uh, bowel movement actually could be in the constipated family. So there's a lot of misconceptions associated with that. And so I wanted to put that out there and clear that up right away. Let's talk about uh, what is a healthy bowel movement. And then I'm going to get into some things that might uh, stray from that and the messages that the body is is telling us. So remember, this is the lab work we get back every day. Or we're supposed to get it back every day, right? Um, and it tells us a lot about what is happening both in terms of our food and what is happening in our gut because our gut is an entire organization of organisms. So healthy is you wake up in the morning and within two hours of waking up, you have a substantial evacuation of your pipes, basically. So it's significant. Um, it might even take a bend, meaning it's going a little bit beyond the descending colon. It's going to be about an inch to an inch and a half in diameter because you want it to be uh, evacuating what is essentially in that, in that tube. If it's more narrow, there may be impacted uh, fecal matter on the sides of the intestinal wall. It is supposed to sink to the bottom of the toilet bowl. It is not supposed to float. It is supposed to be brown in color. It is supposed to have the texture of either toothpaste or be light and fluffy. 
Um, it should not be hard and small, should not be in pieces, should not be uh, watery and in pieces. Uh, and again, uh, it should have the right coloring. So if your body is doing this, you may also experience uh, a bowel movement later in the day. Um, we run into cycles, uh, detoxification and digestion, and we want that morning bowel movement to reflect that we have good detox protocols happening while we sleep. And then if we get a second bowel movement during sometime during the day, that can be a little bit of uh, kind of digestion-esque to the elimination. That one is not always going to happen regularly, but that morning bowel movement really is an indicator of whether or not uh, an individual is evacuating correctly and has a proper detox system in place. Okay, so let's talk about some of these messages um, that your body may sending you with different types of irregularities to bowel movements. Um, there's a number of reasons why somebody could be constipated. So it could be uh, one or a combination of things, low stomach acid, and sometimes low stomach acid can actually be either silent reflux or reflux uh, because the sphincter between the stomach and the esophagus isn't closing properly because of the amount of stomach acid. Stomach acid is really important to turn uh, pureed food, uh, chewed food into pureed food so it can be absorbed properly in the small intestine. So that's one a possible potential reason. Another is too much methane gas. So if someone is um, wired in a certain way where either their diet or the environment or the combination is creating too much methane gas, then that also can lead to uh, constipation. It's somebody with high methane, they're usually experiencing some level of bloating. That's a really common Again, it's that methane kind of building up and the evacuation isn't as clean and smooth as possible. Methane gas is something that builds up in landfills, right? When stuff is just really slow to break down. So when there is a buildup of uh, fecal matter, uh, there also could be the byproduct of too much methane. So either a diet is not going to be broken down uh, in a timely manner um, too much processed food, those things are designed to sit on the shelf. They are designed to not require, uh, you know, refrigeration, refrigeration, they don't perish as quickly. So those sometimes can, depending on somebody's gut health, can be a real problem. Sometimes there can be uh, an imbalance in the number of organisms and then the purpose of those organisms can be skewed. So if there's fungal overgrowth, if there's like a yeast overgrowth, that sometimes can cause a biofilm. Biofilm is like a protective cellular matrix that certain organisms coat themselves with so that they survive longer. They're not evacuated on an ongoing basis into uh, the bowel movement. They can really set up um, a person with inflammation. Some things, uh, once they kind of embed themselves into the intestinal wall, they can create systemic issues uh, and that can be a real problem. Um, color, color is very important. Uh, the amount of bile that is used to break down fats uh, 
impacts the color of bowel movements. So anything that is in like the yellowy tan, uh, not breastfeeding bowel movements, because those are supposed to be that mustardy color. But if, if a, a child or an adult has that mustardy color, it could be something uh, wrong in the way that they're producing bile. Um, and, and so that is something that an individual might want to get checked. If a bowel movement is floating, it can mean that fats are not being properly absorbed. Um, and that also could mean there could be some issues with stomach acid. It could just be uh, somewhere along the line in what they're eating or their chemistry. But, you know, the that whole thing that fat and water and fat don't, oil and water, don't really mix, right? So if there's too much fat being dumped into uh, the, the large intestine and then being evacuated, it's going to cause, uh, it's going to create this density where the bowel movements might float. So that's definitely a red flag. If you see that, you know, it's probably a chronic and a functional issue. So that's another thing is that, you know, some issues that are messages that are being sent in our bowel movement movements are really just letting us know there are chronic and systemic issues. Um, and that requires more of a functional look instead of a diagnostic look. And before I get into diagnostic versus functional, the last thing to consider is that bowel movements shouldn't have a super offensive odor. Um, they really shouldn't kind of, you know, knock you out of the room. It can have kind of a fertilizer smell, but odor means that either stuff has been in there for too long of a time, or again, there's some type of potential infection going on. So let's talk about the difference between diagnostic and functional when it comes to um, our gut health and, and, and especially uh, analyzing bowel movements and what they have to say about our digestive system. Uh, diagnostic, I, I find that diagnostic testing and functional testing actually look at two very, very different areas. You know, diagnostic is meant to be able to look at acute, um, it has to be diagnostable, it has to be, uh, you know, managed in a way that may present a variety of different strategies. Functional usually doesn't show up uh, on a diagnostic test as being a problem. You can have somebody have an issue that is both um, diagnostic and functional, but sometimes, you know, this is what I see too in my practice. People come in and say, you know, everything was fine. Colonoscopy was fine. Uh, endoscopy was fine. And then we find things on a, on a functional panel. Um, so let's talk about what that functional panel is when we're looking at um, the entire digestive system and how that is read in, in bowel movements. So there are a number of these out there, a number of different labs that use them. I'm really partial to Genova. I'm really partial to their three-day uh, GI, comprehensive digestive stool analysis. And again, they're using uh, specimens of uh, an individual's bowel movements to determine certain things um, that are going on in the body. So you can tell from a stool sample through functional testing if a person is making proper stomach acid, if they're making too little, if they're making too much, and then that's going to impact how they're breaking down fats. 
sometimes in skin health, if someone's not breaking down their fats properly, they don't get the essential fatty acids and they don't get those fat soluble nutrients. So their gut health is impacting their skin health. Another thing that can be determined uh, in a functional panel, uh, specifically this one, is you can see if there is enough short chain fatty acids. So if someone has low butyrate, that is another reason why they might be constipated. Butyrate is a short chain fatty acid that's responsible for maintaining the uh, necessary acidity in the large intestine where it helps kind of fight different organisms from replicating in uh, a way that can cause problems. It also is uh, a key component in skin health. So not all skin issues have low butyrate, but if there's skin issues and there's uh, gut issues and there's low butyrate, it is definitely a contributing, contributing uh, part of why there are skin issues. Um, it's really important to know if you have short chain fatty acids correctly, because some of those, if they get um, uh, too high, can be uh, become down the line risk for um, for potentially colon cancer. So sometimes uh, doing with a history of colon cancer in in the family, it might not be enough to just do you know, a colonoscopy or just to test for cancer cells, you might want to look at, do you have the right acidic environment where that, uh, you know, checking all your boxes, making sure all your preventative uh, things are done. So in addition, uh, you might see uh, an immunoglobulin A, IgA, that's an antibody that gets produced if there's too much inflammation. So it's really important to kind of know, you know, what, uh, how your body is dealing with inflammation. Um, so having a, a diagnosis, you might have an IBS, an IBD diagnosis, but maybe somebody doesn't and they really need to kind of start looking at the prevention of getting to that uh, diagnosis by looking at that. Sometimes people with gluten sensitivities, gluten intolerances, they may have tested negative on a celiac panel, but they may have be making an antibody and their body digestively is still kind of struggling with it. Uh, organisms in our gut are social and intelligent. So, it's also really good idea to know, you know, what does that commensal bacteria look like? What is the organization of those uh, organisms? So it's really important to look at the organization of those um, organisms, because again, it can reflect whether or not your diet is working for you. So for example, if somebody thinks they're not eating too much sugar, but the organisms in their digestive tract are actually feeding and replicating based on the sugars, then the sugars a person is eating or even the simple carbohydrates, it doesn't match up with the way that their gut is laid out. And that can change. You change the chemistry of your gut and that may over time mean that different foods become available to you. Um, it's certainly not fixed but those organisms come to us from a variety of places. 
Um, they are in our food. They are, you know, hand to mouth, hygiene, travel. They're in the environment. We pick up these organisms and they inhabit our gut, and there's a trillion of them in our gut. And they are responsible for uh, a significant part of our immune system. They are going to be uh, predictors on how we digest food, how we respond to food. There's something called a gut-brain access. It's going to impact mental health, development, speech, super important in, in kids that you're uh, paying attention to their developmental milestones. Um, so, you know, looking at those organisms can be re really critical in knowing, is my gut working for me? Because it is central to how your body handles the fuel that you're giving it, the food. And so then it's really important to know, well, if I'm eating such and such, is it working for me everywhere else? Beginning with, does it match what the way that my gut, you know, the way that my digestive system uh, needs? Is it working with the organisms? Or is this all leading me down a path where eventually there could be significant health issues down the line? Uh, a good comprehensive digestive uh, stool analysis will also look at, they will do both pathogen and parasite panels. So uh, an individual will know that they are suffering from something that may not be registering uh, in, in, in a uh, traditional diagnostic test. Part of that is because sometimes it's important to, to collect over a period of time because of the way these organisms cycle. And sometimes it's really important to kind of break open that biofilm. So I find preparing properly for uh, these tests are a critical part of making sure you don't get false negatives um, and making sure that uh, the results are going to reflect the amount of time, money, and energy put into the process. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, the impact that a nursing mom's digestive system can have on, on a baby. So it, it's not as talked about or understood that there could be a greater impact to baby's digestive system uh, through the way a nursing mom's digestive system is inflamed or imbalanced, that she may be passing on, uh, you know, some of that methane gas, she may be passing on, uh, you know, un undigested, you know, she may not be digesting her food correctly. Uh, she may have a buildup of toxins that is affecting, is creating a burden to her digestive system, and it could be leading towards, you know, a colicky baby. Uh, there's lots of different reasons why colic happens, and 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 sometimes it can be really mistaken as, well, um, it, it, let's add more nursing uh, periods of time, or you know, let's just take out. Uh, dairy or, you know, garlic and onions, but sometimes maybe even a low FODMAPS diet is necessary to really um, take out, create a new environment where a nursing mom is not high in methane gas, uh, you know, so it's a sensitive, uh, an imbalanced digestive system in a nursing mom can be contributing to uh, a digestive sensitivity in baby without even kind of knowing it. 
even if it seems like the breast milk is the only thing that that baby is um, finds comfort in, uh, sometimes it's just a confusing uh, way of understanding what the real issue is. Sometimes moms are trying to, you know, find a formula to just kind of give them a little bit of a, you know, a balance or a combination of the two, get a break from a colicky baby. They still want to nurse and they're having trouble finding a formula, but that's still because uh, baby's system now is, is sensitive and uh, even the formulas might, might be a problem. So sometimes taking a step all the way back and looking at what's going on with uh, mom's, a nursing mom's bowel movements, is there digestive inflammation? Uh, is there a deep dive needed to look at possible functional and chronic issues uh, where the not only the nursing experience can be more successful, but baby's digestive system is set up um, or is not as you know inflamed as an imbalance. Sometimes formulas will do this depending on how a baby system is um, you know set up. So the digestive system is very complex, very fascinating, and often it's reflected in the way that bowel movements are. Um, so it's really important that we start paying attention to what our bowel movements are saying about our health, or at least understand that doesn't look right, doesn't smell right, doesn't feel right, you know, so that you know that you've got to seek out some help and some support. Okay, our bowel movements, they tell us a lot about how our digestive system is working, and they balanced and working digestive system is a fundamental part of good health. All right. So in order for it to be healthy, a person needs to be going every day. Uh, that does not include babies, infants that might be going through a growth spurt that are not on solid foods. Aside from that, anyone eating solid foods should be going every day, should be in the morning within two hours of waking up, needs to feel, look like an evacuation of those pipes inch to an inch and a half in diameter, uh, a good consistency, good brown coloring, uh, no offensive odor, can have a, a mild odor. And then uh, from there, a person can have another small bowel movement. But if somebody's main bowel movement is happening in the evening or the afternoon, then there's a delay happening in that elimination. And so uh, it's important to look at any of these things that might be off. Uh, constipation in children can lead to, uh, can be, can be, maybe a contributing factor to early onset puberty. Uh, it certainly is an important, necessary thing in brain development, in mood regulation, uh, in just managing inflammation altogether because it is uh, going to be a pathway for all those things systemically to start happening. If constipation happens, you know, the body sometimes is, is recirculating and recycling some, thinking that it might need to, you know, use other strategies to go after this. But also, again, it may be an indicator that something's going on in the stomach, something's going on in the small intestine. Um, or the chemistry of organisms isn't working to your benefit. So definitely very important to take a, a, a long look at what is going on. 
and make sure that this is kind of looking like it's a healthy experience for you on a regular basis. If not, might be time to reach out to a functional practitioner and uh, see, especially if they do a comprehensive three-day look into this, if they know how to uh, prepare a person for it so that they're getting the best possible results. And as always, you know, this podcast is about educating individuals to help you take charge of your own health on confusing matters of health. Hope you join me again for another episode of Health Matters with Laura Kopech.